Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now this passage that we're going to be looking at today is something of a transitional passage uh, in the book of Acts, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, as I've said many times through this series, the Gospel of Luke is a faithful account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the book of Acts is, as well, uh, by the same author, Luke, same earthly author at least, uh, the book of Acts is all that Jesus continued to do and teach through his followers after his ascension to heaven. He told them in chapter 1 that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And as we have worked our way through these first 11 chapters, we have seen the church in Jerusalem explode at Pentecost and continue to grow. But then a persecution drove the early followers of Christ out of Jerusalem and into the Judean countryside on into Samaria, where they continued to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. And this included, of course, Samaritans and people like the Ethiopian eunuch, um, and, uh, who was a Gentile by birth. And, and in the last study that we had on Acts a few weeks ago, uh, we, were, we saw where Peter was told in a vision to reach out to the Gentile Cornelius. And he did this and then defended his action before a council in Jerusalem. And all the people there at that council glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the, the gospel has broached into the Gentile world, reaching out to the ends of the earth. Well, today's scripture introduces us to the church in Antioch. Antioch was one of the largest and most important cities in the Roman Empire. It's one of the top three or four uh, Roman cities. And, uh, and this passage before us describes how the church there was born and how it grew and matured to the point where it became the base for Paul's missionary journeys, which the rest of Acts uh, has as its primary focus. So when I say this is a transitional passage within this book, I'm, I'm telling you that now we're beginning to move to the ends of the earth, and this, this book and this passage tell us uh, how Jesus continues to work through his people to create and grow his church to the ends of the earth. Okay, So that's a, a long, short introduction uh, to, to, the, to the passage we're reading and to this next section that we're entering into. Let's pick up God's words, the reading of God's word here, uh, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. These were Gentile, Greek Gentiles. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, <clears throat> he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, may God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. When I was in college, uh, I grew two inches in height, a little over two inches in height. So I was a late bloomer, and, uh, and so it got to be 6'3", which I have been. I hope I'm still there. I think I'm starting to shrink now. But I'm not, no longer growing up, I'm growing out and trying to resist that. Uh, but growth, physical growth, is something that, of course, all of us have experienced in our lives, and uh, some of us are continuing to experience that. And it's very important. Spiritual growth is even more important. And as Christians, we recognize that we are on a, a journey, uh, a, a spiritual journey, and we are growing in that. And we want to be growing in a positive direction in our spiritual lives, in our faith in Christ. As I mentioned before, uh, this quote from Sinclair Ferguson, that the whole of the Christian life is centered on Jesus. Uh, this is where we begin thinking about spiritual growth. We must think about Christ. And I want us to look at this passage today and see how it demonstrates the centrality of Christ in corporate and individual Christian growth. As we see the birth, growth, and maturing of the Antioch church, we can learn several principles that will help us in our personal Christian growth and in our growth as a church. I've got three points I want to make this morning. First, uh, birth, then uh, growth, then maturity. Birth, growth, maturity. Those are the three words. We're birth, preaching Christ, uh, growth, remaining close to Christ, and then finally, maturity, being like Christ. Those are my three points. And we'll begin with the birth of the Antioch church. Verse 19 to 21 tells us how that church was born. As followers of Christ were driven out of Jerusalem, they went about talking about Jesus Christ to people they encountered along the way. Uh, Antioch was a, a, a very uh, attractive destination for these Jewish Christians because Antioch was a city of well over 300,000 people, and they had a large Jewish population of over 30,000 to 50,000 uh, Jews there. So a natural place for these displaced Jewish believers to, to head to. Now some spoke to Jews and some others spoke to Gentiles in Antioch. And not only did they speak about Jesus to these Gentiles, uh, the end of verse 20 tells us that they preached the Lord Jesus. Now, that word might drive some of us away from the passage and say, well, I'm not a preacher, so uh, that has nothing to do with me. But the word preached there uh, is, a, is an interesting word. It's the Greek verb euangelizo. And we get uh, several words from that. Our word evangelize, evangelism, evangel, uh, etc. They all come from that Greek word. Uh, but we think of these words usually only in reference to Christianity. But the terms predated Christianity and were used in secular life. The word simply means, the word euangelizo, simply means to announce or proclaim news, good news of victory and defeat of enemies. Victory in war and defeat of enemies. 
You may have heard the story of Pheidippides, if you are, know anything about Greek history or semi-history. We're not sure how true this one is. But Pheidippides uh, was, a, was a courier. He was a messenger of the Greeks. And he is the inspiration for uh, the sporting event, the marathon. Uh, he was a Greek messenger and is said to have run 26 miles and 385 yards, which is the exact distance of a marathon. He ran that from Marathon to Athens to deliver news of the military victory against the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. And in honor of his feet, the Marathon, <clears throat> the marathon was born. Well, Pheidippides, you know, he was just saying, we won the battle. Uh, the Persians are, are doomed. He was an evangelist. He was bringing good news, victory. Uh, victory for the Greeks, defeat for the Persians. Uh, he was uh, an evangelist. He was uh, evangelizing when he announced the victory. He shared an evangel or a gospel, good news, in, when he said, we won the battle. That word gospel, which is the uh, equivalent of evangel, comes from an old English word, Godspell, which means good news. So gospel means good news. A God, good, spell, tell. Well, the Christian gospel, the Christian good news or evangel, is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And as these people were driven out of Jerusalem, they were just... Sharing the news. Here's what happened. They were giving a report. They were being, as Jesus said, witnesses to what had happened to Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. They were just sharing the news, sharing the good news. And it's very important that we are clear on the point of what the gospel is. The gospel is news. It is not instruction. Many people believe that Christianity is like all the other religions in the world in that it is a primarily a code that one follows, a, a set of rules, a list of instructions telling people how they can get to heaven. But on the contrary, Christianity is about what Jesus came to earth to do in order for people to be able to get to heaven. It is a report of what Jesus has already accomplished. It is news, a report of events that occurred in time and history. Several thousand years ago, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. Now when we watch the news or read the news online with services like CNN or Fox or whatever your uh, flavor of choice is, we expect to hear reports about what's happened uh, during, during the week or during the day or during the last few minutes, the way we can get news so quickly now. Uh, but we, we hear about what's going on in the world. What significant events have taken place. And the, the, the gospel is the same. It's just a, a report of something that has taken place. It's a report of Jesus' activities while he was on the earth, coupled with the implications of those events. The gospel is good news because what Jesus accomplished in his life and death and resurrection can have an eternal benefit for us humans. Well, news often calls for a reaction. We see it 
so well in our day, and don't we react to the news in our day and time when, when people are so polarized in their positions between political parties and positions on issues of the day. And anytime we hear a report, we know what side we come down on, and we'll argue against the report or argue for the report, what happens. But we get a reaction from the news often, don't we? Well, not the same is true for the good news. This good news of Jesus calls for a reaction. So take a, take a news story, uh, for, exist, for example, that uh, when one of our enemies is defeated, we rejoice that the enemy of our country has, has been put down. And, and the person who uh, was the main cog in accomplishing that victory, we see that person as a hero. We admire him and we're grateful to him for what he's done for us. And if he runs for office, we vote for him. He becomes our choice, our man. Same is true of the good news. Christ has won the greatest victory of all, victory over sin and death. He, he became a man, lived a perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness, and then died a, a cursed death on the cross in our place so that we can be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead victorious over death so we don't have to fear death any longer and we can be forgiven and cleansed of our sins have we responded appropriately to that news is he our choice is he the one that we're casting our lot with this Jesus who has done this for us the Gentiles in Antioch responded appropriately to the good news they heard that these people from Cyprus and Cyrene shared with them and verse 21 tells us, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this is their reaction to it. They heard the news, and they responded. They responded by believing it. They believed the news they were told about Jesus, and they turned to the Lord. They became followers of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this is how the church at Antioch was born. This is how any Christian is born, through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, responded to by faith and repentance. See, it's not, it's not what you've done. It's not following a list of rules. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ has done it. Now how are you going to respond to it? That's the question. And if this is true, which it is, this is what the church should be all about. Our primary purpose as a church is to proclaim the good news about Jesus. You know, a lot of people get, uh, get churches uh, off the track doing all kinds of different things. And pretty soon they've stopped proclaiming Christ. They've stopped preaching the gospel. We have to be careful about that because the most important thing we can do is share what Jesus Christ has done with people. And that's what it means to be not only a church that is faithful, but as uh, individuals who are called to be witnesses. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. People who have heard and responded to the good news of Jesus share it with others. It's a rather simple message, the gospel is, but one that can easily be lost and confused. Make sure you know it. Make sure you've responded appropriately to it like the people of Antioch. 
by casting your lot with Christ and saying, I want that Savior to be my Savior. So that's how the church was born in Antioch. Now we see how it grows. The church was born through the preaching of Christ. How did it grow? How did Christians grow in their faith? The answer is by remaining close to Christ. I'm getting this from verse 22 where it tells us, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now there, in that last half of the sentence, uh, it tells us uh, two interesting phrases here. Uh, first, Barnabas encourages them, and, and Barnabas, this is not his original name, uh, Barnabas is a nickname. It means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager uh, that, that uh, this is what he does. He goes about encouraging people, and he's exhorting them and trying to help them uh, have courage as they follow the Lord. So he encourages them to, quote, remain faithful to the Lord. That's what it says there in uh, verse 22. Now that's a good translation, but we can gain further insight to it, what it means by looking at the original language for a moment. The word faithful is not in the original. In the original, this literally says, remain before the Lord. Remain in the presence of the Lord. Stay with Him. Continue in His presence. Sit at His feet and soak it up like disciples do. So that's the first phrase. The second phrase, uh, Barnabas told them to do this, sit at the feet of Jesus, stay with him with steadfast purpose. Steadfast purpose. That which is translated steadfast purpose is a phrase of two words. It's, it's a noun and a verb. The noun is heart and the verb is to place or set before. The verb to place or set before became the word for an offering. Uh, which, you know, an offering is something that is placed before the Lord. So what he's saying here uh, in, this, in this little phrase, steadfast purpose, it means give yourself to Christ with all your heart. Remain faithful to him with steadfast purpose. With, with all your heart, stay with him. Be with him. Be in his presence. That's the exhortation that Barnabas gave to the church. And they followed through on that. We see it in the text. How do they and how do we do this? Our, our hearts are unfaithful ones. We find ourselves often devoted to things and actions which are not faithful to Christ. We forget the Lord. We rebel against him. So forth and so on. Barnabas knew this. And he... He went and got help. He went and fetched Saul or Paul from Tarsus to come and help him teach the people about Jesus. And see, they, Barnabas and Saul, were Jesus' representatives to them. You remember the purpose of Acts. All Jesus continued to do and teach through his followers. So Jesus is continuing to work in their lives through Paul and Barnabas, as they proclaim Christ to them. They opened up the Scriptures and taught them what it was teaching about Jesus. So spending time in the Word is of vital importance if we want to grow in our faith. 
As disciples, this seems obvious, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense. If you want to be close to Christ, then listen to Him. Learn from Him in His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. Also, speak to Him. We can speak back to Him in prayer. We have recourse to ask Him questions and to to discuss things with Him. You also notice in verse 26, it tells us that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul uh, met with the church and taught a great many people. See, they didn't just study the scriptures in isolation. They gathered together with a, with a group and they studied the scriptures. They needed a, a encouragement from one another and exhortation from one another. Yes, we are to do these things, stay close to Christ with a steadfast purpose. We are to do it in conjunction with the rest of the body of Christ, connected to others so that we can be encouraged and be an encouragement to others. I want to exhort you, don't let anything get in the way of these means of growth, of spending time in God's Word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers. That's how the church in Antioch grew, and that's how the church grows today. That's how you grow as an individual believer. Well, finally, maturity, being like Christ. The church in Antioch not only grew, but they also matured. And we know this by the statement in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The truth they heard from Barnabas and Paul affected them in such a way that their lives began to portray the doctrines they espoused. They not only talked about Christ, but they also resembled Christ in their actions. And it was evident to all that they belonged to Christ. They were always talking about Him. And not only were they talking about Him, but what they said about Him was exhibited in their lives. The term Christian is not one that's widely used in Scripture. It's only used two other times. Uh, once at the end of the book of Acts and, and once in First Peter. And on both, it was used by those who were outside the faith. So it's important to realize that the term was not meant to be endearing. It was something that maybe even opponents of the church said about them. They're Christians. But what a compliment. Uh, They were known as Christ's people because they spoke so often about Christ and were followers of His way. There's a great line in the old movie, Sergeant York, where young Alvin York you know, takes his stand, he becomes a Christian, and, and he will not compromise on what the Bible says. And his pastor, Pastor Pyle, turns to him and says, when they're talking about this, he says, I see you got the using kind of religion and not just the meeting house kind. Well, the church in Antioch had the using kind of religion. It was practical for their daily lives. It wasn't a religion that they had on just Sunday morning only. It was something that was that was uh, infused into their everyday existence. They were mature believers in the Lord. They not only talked the talk, but they walked the walk every day. They not only spoke about Christ, but they looked like Christ as well. That's a challenge for us today. You know, there's a lot of talk going on uh, about what Jesus would do especially in reference to certain, uh, certain uh, battles that are going on in the media between Christians and others. 
and conservative Orthodox Christians are being accused of very, being very unchristlike in the way that they treat others. And I think that's a challenge to us. You know, we need to show them, to show the world that we're like Christ, to be like Christ, and to make sure we are being like Christ. I think they're confused about what Christ would actually do in certain situations, but we need to be careful that we are Christ-like in the way that we interact with people, in the way that we treat people. But we see the church in Antioch exhibiting this Christ-likeness in the little last paragraph. Uh, we have just one example. One example in this passage, but we'll continue to see them doing great things for the Lord. When they hear a prophet come, Agabus comes and he, he speaks of an impending famine, they resolve to show self-sacrificing love to the church in Judea, the mother church. Now that's the kind of love Jesus showed on the cross when he did not show self-interest, but he showed an interest in his people in the ones that he loved, and he laid down his life for us on the cross. Well, here we see the, the Antioch church laying down their lives, giving of their money, uh, not out of self-interest, but to help their friends who are going to be going through a difficult time. This type of love is a sign of maturity in Christ. And this is the goal God has for Christians. We are to be like Jesus. There's an old test, and I'll conclude by this. Uh, you've probably heard it before, but if we were charged with being Christians, meaning that we resembled Jesus Christ, would there be sufficient evidence to convict us? That's something to think about. And may the Lord lead us to uh, further growth so that we can exhibit Christ's likeness. But first, make sure that you're born. You're born again, that that you have embraced Christ as your Savior, that you have responded appropriately to the good news of salvation in Christ. And then put, your in a, put yourself in a position to grow by, by being engaged in study of the Scriptures and prayer and fellowship with other believers. And then may God grant us the grace of being like Him and showing Him to others. Let's pray.